0: episode 108 of the hanging with coach newton podcast features coach anna woods she is the founder of she strength as well as a full-time trainer and coach for online app and in-person gym training servicing two locations in central kansas she is a business owner programmer She is the internship mentor for the Collegiate uh, She Strength Internship. She leads a video production, social manager, media, social media manager, gym janitor, and personal trainer and coach for over 200 clients a week through online and in-person training. Coach Woods also works with Hutch Community College Softball and with Bueller High School as the women's strength coach. She is also a personal trainer for disability supports for the Great Plains, LLC. Coach Woods and I discuss coaching special needs population athletes, developing pro- programming for the female athlete, and continuing to break down barriers and walls for those in the minority. Check out Coach Anna Woods, her website, SheStrength. Also, check out her socials, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Before we jump into today's episode, just a few housekeeping things. Please remember to follow the show on Twitter, at @hwcmpodcast. Podcast and share this episode or any that you find value in we would also really appreciate uh, a rating and review on your favorite platform if you're in the dallas area and are looking for some fantastic custom cookies that look almost too good to eat check out texas treaties if you're trying to step up your menswear game then my man etiquette dawn is the best choice truly custom men's apparel that will have you looking sharply dressed if you need a coffee that works as hard as you do, or is as strong as your squat, bench, deadlift, clean, or snatch, then I suggest checking out Viking Coffee Company. If you're in need of a fast and effective way to keep your weight room, locker room, gym, or anything else sanitized, check out Xanago Sprayer. Enjoy today's episode with Coach Anna Woods. On today's episode of the Hanging with Coach Noonan podcast, I am joined by founder, CEO, president, troubleshooter, everything under the sun, uh, she strength coach Anna Woods. She's also uh, the strength conditioning coach for Hutchinson Community College softball, as well as uh, additional online programming for high schools uh, in the Kansas area. Coach Woods, thanks for taking the time out of your busy day and chopping it up with us
1: absolutely thanks for letting me come on
0: I was um I I do this with all my guests like I, I look to see you know have you been on other podcasts how far how long ago um you know and I saw that you'd been on a couple but it had been a little bit um so you know for those that don't you know know who you are they they scroll your feed and there's a lot of different things, right? You're working with girls, you're working with special needs population. Like you're kind of all over the place <laughs> in a lot of great ways. Can you kind of give us like a bird's eye view of of who you are and how you got into coaching?
1: Sure. Um, yeah, people always laugh. They're like, what what exactly do you do? And I I always tell people, I do the things that I feel like I can most authentically. Provide value for, so the populations I work with, the people I work with, are only the people that I feel like I can absolutely give 100% authentically to them because I understand them. Their needs are a part of my life in some way, shape, or form, or I've been an athlete in their shoes in those populations. So I always say I go everything from college softball to um, adults with special needs, um, mainly because I I played college softball. I had to rehab multiple injuries. Um, I lifted weights in high school, but we didn't have high school weights until I was a senior and I had to join the, the boys football program. There were four of us girls that lifted weights with the boys football team my senior year. And it was life changing for me to come back my senior year and be as strong as I was. Um, I swear that's what helped me get a college scholarship to play softball. Um, and then on the special population side of things, we had we adopted my son when he was two and he has Down syndrome. Um, and then one of my other children had a lot of sensory processing issues when she was younger. So I spent a lot of time behind the scenes working with therapy with other parents of, of children with special needs, realizing past therapy, PT, OT in the schools, there is absolutely no sort of health and fitness programming, coaching advocacy, um, for people with special needs. And so I kind of entered that realm because I saw a need and I wanted some programming for my son um, and my daughter at that point in time when they were little. So I started developing programs kind of through that avenue as well, which is this then grown into a huge part of my personal training business. But um, yeah, so a lot of, a lot of it seems really spark, like far apart and, and very different avenues, but for me in my heart, those are the things I'm most passionate about and and the people that I feel like I can most authentically serve. Um, and so it feels like a narrow market for me, but to the outside world, it, it seems like a really broad span, uh, of people that I get to help. So,
0: yeah. And that, I think one of the biggest reasons that was intriguing for me to have you on was, was directly your work with those special needs population. Um, as a case manager for special ed inclusion, um, you know, I, I work with a lot of variety of children in the classroom, um, you know, and then we see some of it on the field and in the weight room to a degree, um, but we don't like we don't I don't directly deal with any kind of adapted P.E., or, or anything like that, you know, and most of the time, the modifications that we're doing in the weight room are usually more for an injury rehab, return to play type protocol, and not so much because of a, a truly physical, um, you know, disability. Right. That's not to say that those things don't exist. Uh, we did have a young lady, um, who, has a, a slight deformation in one of her hands. Um, okay. So I believe she was missing like a one, one finger and then kind of, like she couldn't have a full fist and it oh, okay. it's not one of those things that you see right away. Right. It's not, yeah. it's not as easy to notice as say someone with down syndrome or someone with mm-hmm. cerebral palsy, like you have to see you have to like all of a sudden see them on a bench press and go. Why aren't you? Where, where's the rest <laughs> of? And you're oh, like, yeah. oh, that that is like. Huh. Um, but in no to me, in no way, shape, or form did it did that hinder her from success, or not? Um, because she had enough to where she could grab the bar both on the oh, bench okay. press and deadlift. What? hindered her was just lack of consistency and, and, yeah. um, making excuses. But I th- mm-hmm. I think that that plagues all teenagers <laughs> okay. regardless of absolutely or, or what, <laughs> you know, but I, I also have family members, um, who, who are, are autistic or who do have sensory issues. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, m- Curious about my nephews, Um, so I don't know if my sister will ever listen to this podcast, but, Mm -hmm. you know, there there are some developmental things that I wonder about and that I am intrigued by. So what can you, as as both a coach and a parent, what pieces of information do you wish you – obviously, there's things that you wish you knew, which is why you decided to fill a void – but how would you give that information to parents and coaches and people that interact with these children on a daily basis to better their lives?
1: Yeah. Um, So I speak really openly, um, sometimes really raw for most people and and some people can handle it and some cannot. It takes people a little while to process, but I always, I always say, most parents consider their child with special needs too fragile um and and I very much approach my son especially he has downstream um I don't treat him any differently than any of my other kids the expectations are still the same the only difference is I give him a little more time to do it um and I always say because people will come up to me and be like oh my god you make him do that or you you have him you don't you know, you don't worry about those kind of things. And I, and I always say, because I think personally, we adopted him. I did not give birth to him. I do not have the guilt that I think moms experience when they give birth to a child with special needs. We're moms. We carry a lot of mom guilt as most parents can attest to, but I think there's an added burden when you're a parent that has given birth to a child that has some sort of disability. And we feel responsible for that. And we feel like we have to make it up for it for the rest of our life. And I think in some way, shape or form, we consider our child fragile because you spend so much of the initial parts of their life in therapy, at doctor's appointments, all of these people telling you, don't do this, don't do this, this could happen, this might happen. And we kind of develop this fear. And then we never tend to let go of that. Um, and we approach at least physical fitness and health as a scary thing or a um, need basis. I think a lot of people approach health and fitness for their child with special needs like therapy. So you go to PT for a million hours from infancy to three, and then all of a sudden you're released from it and you just assume that's all you need. Um, When in reality, there's a lot of more developmental things that a child can participate in or do that are gonna help them in the long run, um, cognitively and physically, and so, I try to help people understand these, these people, these kids, they don't want to be treated any differently. They want the expectations to be really high for them. And they're going to live up to the expectations that you put on them. But we as parents, or we as coaches have to let go of this mentality that we're going to hurt them or they're fragile. When in reality, I honestly think they're some of the toughest kids I have ever worked with because they've already been through so much in their first few years of life. They are going to outwork or or outdo most kids if you give them the opportunity to prove that to you. Um, so the difference lies in your ability to be creative in providing modifications and providing opportunities for them to excel. Um, so when I have a group come in, I'll have two or three in a wheelchair. Or I have one or two with, autism, you know, ASD, autism spectrum disorder, someone down syndrome. And I will coach them what we're going to do just like I would any other class. And then I say, all right, maybe you're in a wheelchair and you only have use of one arm. You're going to do a bench press with this hand attachment or with this band. He's going to lay down and use these dumbbells and you're going to use this PVC pipe with sand in it. And everyone's doing bench press, but they're doing their own version. Um, Same reps, same sets, same time. I, I really try to not differentiate what they're doing. It's their version and they're doing the same thing subjectively as you are. They're just doing their ability of it. Um, And I get on them just like I do everyone else. I hold them to the same expectation, the same time constraints, whatever that might be. Um, Obviously the transition time takes a little bit longer. Some people I have to use like electronic device to communicate with or sign language or I write it on the board. Like, you know, you learn how to adapt to what their learning strength is. Um, But I think the reason people are successful and have so much um, fun with it is it's not therapy, so I have to communicate to the parents, their strength and conditioning is different than therapy for these kids, two, they're not fragile, like, they need to learn how to transfer themselves, they need to have strength to be able to pull themselves out of their chair, um, for people with autism spectrum disorder, you literally can create calming mechanisms in their body to help their brain different, like, you know, um, not be overstimulated with heavy lifting, with heavy compression, with heavy pushing, having pulling, there's tons of studies that show how people with autism spectrum disorder can actually have a calming mechanism in the brain, um, from doing those activities. So then I can send them back to their math class and they're going to have a fantastic class, um, or they're going to be able to go sit on a car ride, or they're going to be able to go sit at their siblings practice and, and not, you know, have so many behaviors, um, so it's communicating to the parents and the coach, the benefits, and then also not seeing them as, as broken. Um, you you have to not see them in their chair. You have to not see them with um, overstimulated behavior. Um, you just see them like everyone else and then provide the basic modifications or boundaries with which you can keep them safe within that. Um, and I really, the training is the same. I, I really don't differentiate much outside of that. And in my experience, this is like my start of my seventeenth year. It it works really well, um, so that's my long term answer for your question there. But
0: I, uh, I love it. Um, I mm, we had a young man in in uh, one of the cl- one of the math classes that I co teach in, and um, one of the things that I needed to do with him routinely was just go for a walk. Like we needed to exit Mm -hmm. class because he was highly intelligent and fully capable of, of comprehending the material and typically comprehended it way faster than a lot of the other ones. So that led to challenges of attention and, um, of ability to sit still, um, he was also in the band, but I could see how the requirements of band give him a different stimulation. Yeah, And so he, he has a way that he has an outlet to channel that. Um, and it doesn't look really any different than everybody else. There's plenty of goofiness and oddities of band kids. Um, as a, as a former band kid myself, um, You know, I I can attest, like, you look across the field of band kids and you couldn't pick anybody one or different because they're all, they all have their own quirks and things. Um, And then there's obviously cliques within band kids the way that there are in just the general population. But I'd be curious if putting him through some kind of various physical activities would have changed something and, and done something possibly different to, to result in, in, in various stimulants. Um, you know, cause our, our thing is we didn't want them to just be engrossed in their phones, regardless of a kid. So the last thing we're trying to do is, Hey, Hey, put your headphones in and go sit away. Like we're not trying to stifle. So if, if somebody wanted to kind of dive into this, area of strain and conditioning because it's very untapped it's it's not overly saturated yeah
1: um,
0: what would you say how would somebody kind of bring themselves to find more information about this
1: um well i worked at the american council on exercise last year two years ago now we created an adaptive fitness programming ceu course um you can get that off my website or you can get that off there the american, Ace So that, in my opinion, is one of the few that's like in a course book form that you can go through. And I I literally break down the first four to six weeks of how I introduce exercise, how we communicate, how we set it up in like a consult or an IEP plan with a parent or a PCP plan if they're an adult, um, how we provide incentives, how we kind of quote grade them. um, That's all broken down in that. Outside of that, I know the Special Olympics has some pretty good introductory things they're starting to put in place for people to use. Um, To be honest, otherwise, it's extremely hard to find a lot of information on that. I like to use, um, I'll use some uh, like adult elderly programs like Silver Sneakers used to have a really good program. I actually went to two of their courses and I use their stuff all the time. For warm-ups and cool-downs, for especially my clients in wheelchairs, Um, but there's some like elderly um, activities that I will use, um, like that people do for recreational programming and nursing homes. Um, I'll use a lot of game type of things from PE classes. I just modify them to use in a regular classroom. So I'll use a lot of regular PE games and activities, and implement those into the strength and conditioning part of the of the program, but I will start it. Like if a kid comes in, like with my son, he he does two weightlifting classes because he's high energy. And I see the value of him getting under some weights in class to help provide a calming mechanism for him to return to class. Cause he has a really hard time sitting still. Um, And so I have him only do the beginner seventh and eighth grade programming. He just stays with that. So like he uses a lighter barbell for back squats um, or he uses PVC pipe for cleans or um, he uses dumbbells a lot because people with Down syndrome have hyperlax joints. And so he can like dislocate his joints pretty easily. Most people with Down syndrome can. So I actually have them don't do a lot of stretching and do a lot of holds and things like that. Um, One for calming mechanism too, because of their joint laxity. But um, I will keep them at very, very basic levels of exercise. Like I would have my seventh and eighth graders do and they stay at that for a long time. Like it takes an average person with Down syndrome, two years to learn something like that. Um, and honestly, they don't get bored with it. Probably some of my clients I've worked with for almost 16 years, we're still doing the basic template. We're just alternating it here and there and adding strength to reps every once in a while. But I literally have not veered off of that template ever because they don't get bored with it. It takes them a long time to learn it and it gives their their brain a chance to get caught up and understand how to improve on it. Um, but we stay at the pretty basic level for most everyone.
0: How do you how do you monitor your one expectations and two your level of patience? Because just from a you know general standpoint, it can it can take a lot out of you working with such a variety of, of clientele um in this in this realm of of your clientele not even including your your gen pop athletes that mm-hmm. don't have these disabilities but they still present their own issues um yeah. you know, so how do you how do you yourself manage that um on a day-to-day basis you
1: get you get really good at coaching intuitively. So if I can read the room real quickly when they come in. So if they come in and we are high anxiety, fidgety, if you get the look from the para or the staff, (laughs) we'll literally do a 10 minute exercise and then we're done. Um, I'll have them write on the board what they want to do that day. Then I'll put three rules next to that, that they have to do before they get to do what they do and they're in and they're out. Um, Sometimes we'll literally come in and we'll just do breathing exercises on the floor and some yoga stretching and go for a walk. Um so I I can manage my energy levels based off theirs, what they can handle, what I can handle that day and we put really strict boundaries around that but be really flexible within those within those boundaries. So some days I'll get 40 minutes out of them, some days I'll get 10. Um and I've just learned to be okay with that. Like I've had to let all rules go. Um I'll have a plan and I can tear it up in the first five seconds of them walking in the room sometimes, but I've learned to let imbalance be the norm, I guess, Um, and let go of a ton of expectations of how I think it should look and how it's going to go in my head. And we just go with the flow because if it's a Friday, if it's a holiday, if one of them has a birthday, if they have a field trip, if they have a change of medication, if they have a new para or a new staff you're not going to get a whole lot accomplished. Um, so I, I try to keep track of those things. Like I, I kind of keep an eye on what those things are. I ask parents to give me that information ahead of time. I ask what their triggers are. I ask what their overstimulation is. I ask what their calming mechanisms are. Um, I get pretty thorough in my questions and things. So, cause I want to know that ahead of time when they come in. Um, and then for most of them, we only meet two times a week. Um, that's all they can handle. And that's, a lot of times, all the capacity that I have. Um, I'm pretty stern. Like if they come in and they're out of control, I say, you have two strikes and we're done. Like I don't give any leeway outside of that. Probably like most kids, they crave boundaries and a lot of times they don't get them. So it's kind of like parenting. Um, I have really strict boundaries and I don't mess around with that. Like parents always laugh that I'm really hard on their kids, but the kids like that. They thrive within that very strict boundary, I guess. And they know what my expectations are. They know I don't mess around. Like we have fun within this and this. Um, so then that way I know if I'm getting close to getting out of patience or, or getting a little bit, then we know we both, we're both done for today or we're, we're going to move on to something else that's not as stressful. Um And there's been times where we just don't meet. Like, hey, we've got this going on, they've got this going on, go for a walk instead. Or we're not gonna meet today, you can go to the library or go have an outing or whatever. But I think the best answer to that is that I'm very flexible within a boundaries, I guess. And I just know what my capacity is and I know what theirs are and we stay very strict to that. Um, but I don't do most, for most clients with special needs, we don't have more than a 30 minute session. We have a list, they come in, they check that list off as soon as they're with no their checklist, they go. there There's not a lot of like capacity that we have to do an hour. We have to do forty five minutes or it has to look a certain way. That's when I get stressed out, and that's when the clients get stressed out. Um, so very loose following of <laughs> a plan. <laughs>
0: so, so flip it over now to dealing with your female athletes, softball program. How do you and how do you hold yourself accountable when they're complaining or they're um, they're they're kind of not performing to the standard of which you would like and you you in your brain you may compare them to you know this other population is doing basically the same stuff they're they're thriving with it. And if they were in your position, right, there's, I mean, there's obviously a chance that they would be doing the same thing, complaining the same way as as kids tend to do. But mm-hmm. on the other hand, you're also like, you shouldn't, you, you don't have the excuse that they could, ha- they could create mm-hmm. for themselves. So why are you creating that? Whether you verbalize that or you internalize it, like, mm-hmm. how do you kind of check yourself and kind of get out of that negative headspace to stay focused on the task at hand?
1: We talk a lot about ownership. Um, Ownership over entitlement, (laughs) that probably is what we talk about more than anything. Um, The girls that I coach at the college, I mean, they're getting paid to be there. They're there as an athlete to perform a certain task, and they have a role on their team. Um, Therefore, they need to do the best they can to fulfill that role, whatever it might be. And as long as they know what that identity is and and know their ownership within that, then um, I push them in that in that way. And kind of like I said, I think I'm um, I, I think I don't realize about myself how honest and open I talk about things, because I just that's just my personality. So we have really hard conversations a lot, um, very open ones. And I'll share my own personal struggles. I try to be extremely vulnerable and authentic in a way that allows conversations. Um, I never use the excuse of, well, I have a client with cerebral palsy that completed their workout today. Like that's never going to come out of my mouth because I don't, I really don't see my clients as different. Um, I don't see someone in a wheelchair as being any less advantaged than my all American shortstop. You know, they're all human at the end of the day and they all have their own stresses and they have their own ways of having to deal with them. My all American stress in my opinion, is the the same heaviness on them as the mentality of my personal cerebral palsy. Like in our heads, we have our own struggles and we deal with them. And I don't differentiate that as this is worse or yours is worse. Like at the end of the day, to you, in your mind, that might be just as bad. Um, So I try not to shame people for being human. I say that all the time. Um, So I try to meet everyone where they're at that day and approach that day's needs with what It needs to be um and push them within those boundaries but i always say i'm going to assume you're healthy and okay unless you tell me otherwise and i try to give opportunities for them to come talk to me before after if there is some stuff going on with the college girls we have sheets that are like one to five physically how are you feeling how are you feeling emotionally Um, we talk about spiritual health some to the past capacity with which i can um, our FCA leader comes in and does some of that for me, but, um, and then we like have them give ratings at the end when they come in and I look through those real quick. And if I need to pull anybody aside and talk to them before we start our session, I will, but we try to do that at least once a week, twice a week, depending. Um, but I don't really know if that answers your question or not, but I don't really no, differentiate. I,
0: you, you did. And I, I, that's what I, I figured the answer to be, um, and just in the, in the short conversation we've already had so far, um, I, I would honestly would have been shocked if it would have been something like, <laughs> yeah, I go around and go, Hey, you know, you got two legs and two good arms. Yeah. You're perfectly fine. Shut up and do like, obviously there's a, there's a d- degree to which we as coaches give tough love to kids. Yeah. Um, you know, kids got a raspberry, uh, you know, from sliding mm-hmm. or they got, pegged in the elbow with a ball. Um, you know, you take that into consideration to a degree, but you're like, is it broken? Right. Is it, you know, is it just a little sore? Okay. Let's work through this, but this is not going to hold you out. Like, right. It's not a life debilitating, life threatening injury. Yeah. Let's go. Or you're, you're hurt. You're not injured. Right. That's always the battle that we have is is like, Please stay out of the training room if you are hurt and not needing anything other than either a Band-Aid or a bag of ice. Get out of there. Like stop hanging in there.
1: We talk about pain. The differences between pain. Yeah. Because I've learned, you probably know this, kids come in, I legit, they do not know the differences in pain.
0: No, no We have to
1: talk about it all the time, (laughs) which is so weird to me, but it, it is a fact for kids now.
0: Well, and that's levels
1: of pain and what pain means and when you address pain and when you push through it, like,
0: yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad you made that comment because now that just triggers in my brain. Like, Hey, I need to talk to, I need to talk to all head coaches and like have them, especially the the pops that have not worked with me yeah. and be like, okay, you need to free let parents know when a kid comes home and they complain about this, that, or the other and they're not used to consistently training, like, do not hold them out. Send them back. (laughs) Yes. Yes. If if you do them more harm by babying them.
1: (laughs) Absolutely.
0: And also don't stick them in ice right away. Yeah. There's just so many things that it's like, I wish, of course, we say that we're going to express these things, but you wonder how many people actually pay attention and read them.
1: Yeah, very true.
0: Falling on deaf ears.
1: Right. Or like, the one we're dealing, I've been dealing with this week is I had two kids. I had ACL repairs this summer, two female athletes, and they don't come to weights because of their knee rehab. And I'm like, man, you can do a lot of bench press (laughs) with two good arms. You know, you can do med ball slams with two good arms. You can be a leader for your team and be present at weights with two good arms and a core. Like, It's this mentality of all or nothing. I tore my ACL. I can't do anything at weightlifting. Oh yeah, you can. And I used to get really angry and mad that people would say that, but I have learned people literally think that it's just more education that needs to be put out there. And then I try to teach and teach like you have an ACL repair, but there's a lot of cool stuff we can still be working on. So you can still be with your team, still have your cardio, still have strong upper body and core and your other leg. That's not injured. Like they just don't realize there's other stuff they can be doing. Um, it it's is, just constant it's education. <laughs>
0: yeah. That, with as much, it's almost like with as much information that is out there and it's accessible. Some, some at some time you're almost like, how are you still less informed? Right. With more access to information. Right. But it's, it's all through the, the, the lens and the filter with which we consume it right and if you're not yeah expanding and you're not going down various rabbit holes you're not learning you're just yeah. staying narrow-minded
1: it's almost overwhelming i so i will use the opposite though so if someone comes in and they're like i have i'm still in a knee brace i'm like eight weeks out post acl i can't do anything i'll be like actually i do have a client that only has one leg let me show you how we do med ball tosses or let me show you how he modifies bench press to make it work. Like I try to use it as an educational tool, not as a shaming. Yeah. Um, but people are like, Oh my God. Okay. Um, so I, I try to use those examples as education. Um, cause like I said, I, I think at the end of the day, people really don't think they can be doing other things. It goes back to that factor of fragile being afraid of getting hurt again. Um, so, so I will to go back to your previous point. I will use it in that way as educational.
0: Um, I like that. Um, it, you know, the, the the this whole notion of, of fragile or or anti fragile. Um, you know, on the one hand, we talk about it from the standpoint of the special needs population and the the fear of they can't do this because this, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. We have this other misnomer and this other myth from from a training female standpoint oh you know they can't they can't or the girls themselves from whatever preconceived notions self-impose their own ceiling because i don't want to be too bulky i don't want to do this i don't want to look like and you just like i'm sure you have to do on a consistently daily basis of dispel that and say look that's not one what you think is going to happen is nowhere close to happening Right. With, with one with how we're going to train, but two, like you're not putting the additional yeah. extra in your body that requires to create that metamorphosis. Like, yeah. how do you, you know, giving your, your career as a player and now as a coach, like, and knowing the, the struggle and how long it took you to just get into weights at a young age, like how do you dispel that and, and, I'm assuming that that's, that is part of your life goal, life mission Mm -hmm. to just educate and flip that narrative.
1: Yeah. I try to do as much, like I talked about, give them as much ownership as possible in that. So I, I think I posted on Twitter this week. I had, I think three girls over the last two or three months that were complaining about low energy um, fatigue their parents are complaining about them all they do is come home and sleep they they are not doing like having trouble staying awake in the classroom they take them to their, their doctors you know and and nothing against physicians and i never want to speak badly but you know they're like well you're depressed or um you know maybe you need to be on anxiety meds or something along those lines and that's fine and great but when they come in the weight room i'm like what what's going on you know like you're you're not pushing the weights you're not and they're like we're just so tired so I actually had these three girls start tracking their food in my FitPal for me. I'm like, I'm not going to tell you anything else. Every time you put food in your mouth, I want you to put it in there three days a week for the next eight weeks or so. And then send me screenshots of your macros and your calories at the end of that. Like, I just want to see, I'm not going to tell you anything else other than that. Cause that like, you know, starts getting outside of our scope of practice a little bit, but I just want to see, I'm like, send it to me. Like every one of those girls, minus a few here and there we're getting 18 to 25 grams of protein a day. Like these are three sport athletes that are wanting to play at the collegiate level that are lifting four to five days a week, going to two hour practices, going to school all day, working jobs and literally getting 18 to 25 grams of protein as an average every day. And less, like most of them are averaging 875 to a thousand calories a day, you know? And, and we talk about it and they're like, well, what, you know, like, I want to get fat. So I'm eating a bag of Doritos at lunch and, and a granola bar on the way to school, you know? And I'm like, okay, so let's talk about this. So I'll be like, here's your goal. I want you to try to figure out how to get more than 50 grams of protein a day and more than a thousand calories, like just figure out how to do it. I'm not going to give you any more advice than that. Here's some things I personally use or do, or my kids do, but And, like, literally within the first two weeks, I've had two of the girls text me back. Their team's made it to state softball. I can't believe how much better I feel at practice. Like, I I can stay awake during this class now. And, like, okay, maybe you should add a little bit more to that. See if you can get 60 grams this week of protein and, like, 1,500 calories, you know. Um, And I try to just give them as much opportunity to figure it out on their own as they can. And, and I told them, I'm like, I'm not going to give you more advice until you at least do those three things. Until you do that, you don't have any ownership or skin in the game. And I'm not going to listen to you complain if you're not going to at least try to meet me in the middle on some things. Um, once you've done that, let's say you're getting your water and all that and you're still feeling that, then then maybe we need to go have some lab work done or you need to go see your physician or along those lines on top of what you're already doing. But um, for me, I try to put it back in there court as much as possible all the time because I think they really don't know and in my experience if they don't do it themselves they're not gonna listen to me so (laughs) the other thing is then that puts a little bit back on the parents like okay well then a lot of the girls are like we don't have anything at home we don't have any food I'm like all right then you sit down and make a grocery list or here's some things that I'd recommend talk to your parents about how we can work together on getting that but I try to always put it back on them as much as possible and get some ownership and education involved at the same time.
0: Um, yeah. I, in that
1: regard, so.
0: And then that is definitely an, a battle on, on that. Um, and obviously like for me as a powerlifting coach, we have to have discussions about weight, right? Because it plays a role into who, who goes where on the roster and, and yeah. or, you know, where's a vacancy and, and how do I, you know, how do I get you to go recruit me this, you know, the 97 pounder or yeah. I need a 198, I need a 220. Like th- those, those are all things that go into it. Um, but we do have to have real conversations about like, okay, let's, if we're going to cut, like this is what, this is what we need to look at doing. And, and you're right you you have to be mindful of where is inside or outside of the scope um, but creating that dialogue with them and then trying to create it with the parent as well so that yeah. there's no no nothing is in the dark, and yeah. you can't say, well, you know you you know you told them to do this, and this was the negative result, and I'm like, whoa <laughs> one, it's not what I said two I asked you to j- I asked you to join us on this deal, yeah." You kept, you know, blowing me off like. Yeah. So I stopped the conversation. Your kid took it a different way, and, and right. or you know, I've had uh, one young lady that would just all uh, oh, um, do the Epsom salt bath or whatever right before. Mm. Yeah, you hit weight, but it was always such a. It was always such a. a In my brain, I always wondered how much better she could be when I took it over. She was a senior. So there wasn't it was only so much I was going to be able to do anyway. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm like, "Mm, there's a good chance that you could have been like a gold medalist instead of a finalist. Yeah. But then I also had other people in her ear from a training standpoint. So I was like, you know what? You don't want to listen to me on everything. That's fine. Right. You're a good kid. Your senior will get you to where you want to be, but I'm also not going to push the issue because yeah. I just don't want the headaches. Like it's right.
1: Isn't that the tough part as as coaches is when you when you know and you can see the potential in a kid and then you just can't get that embrace on their part to to see it. You hope someday they do. <laughs> Maybe someday they'll don't remember what you said and it'll stick with them but yeah those are the hard pieces I always say from a personal standpoint when for me the most powerful thing for me to to get away from obsessing over my weight was starting to realize that the when I put more weight on the bar it was way more fun I always tell people it's way more fun to add weight to the bar than worry about taking weight off your body and like the power of feeling strong like I was I was a farm kid I I grew up we had livestock hay bales you know you're naturally strong when you grow up in that environment so I was always the strong kid and I had nowhere to feel like I had an identity my freshman sophomore and junior year like I played sports but I was always like not super fast but always strong like I knew how to use my body weight well and I knew how to use it but it wasn't athletic then and so when someone introduced me to weights, and like I could have an identity in a weight room and be strong was cool in one piece of the school for me, man, I was all over that. Like, I think my junior to senior year, I dropped like 8% body fat. I dropped like 10 pounds. I remember I came back my senior and people were like, God, what did you do this summer? And it was literally going to weights four days a week with the football players. That was the only thing I changed. But my whole mindset was completely different. And I had the huge opportunity of going you know, being an eighteen-year-old and having a different illusion of what body weight can do for you in a positive way—that um, I think still carries with me today. Like, you know, you go through pregnancies and and you worry about weight and you worry about things, but it never like held that hold on me. Like I think a lot of women deal with that. You know, they come to me in their middle ages now and they're like, "Oh my god, I got to get back down to pre-baby weight." And you're like, oh, "We are still having these same conversations." That I think starts when we're young unfortunately as females there's this expectation to look a certain way or be a certain weight and it carries with you for a lifetime so when you as a strength coach have the opportunity to transform that relationship with a weight on a scale to weight on a scale has a purpose um it's really powerful and and i try to talk to kids about that all the time i'm like i lifted weights in high school then i got away from it after college Cause you kind of get sick of it and you're like, oh, I don't want anything to do with anything sport related. Like it took me a good 10 years to get back to like consistently lifting and wanting to be athletic again. And I tell people now, I'm like, what I weigh now is what I weighed nine months pregnant with my oldest daughter. Who's 17 now. Like I literally weigh the same, but the way that I carried that weight then, and the way I carry my weight now is very different. So weight on a scale is subjective to how you use it basically is what it comes down to and so I tell my girls that all the time I'm like weight is actually a cool thing if you know how to use it correctly and it can have a purpose and eating all those carbs or whatever you're scared of can have a purpose like you just have to understand it and experience it and feel it and then you got by all day long but it's getting them over that edge of like fear you know um, if, if you got bulky from eating certain things and, and doing things all dudes would be walking around. Checked. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's just like it. if you stop and think about the reality of it, it's people kind of laugh when they're like, that's true, you know. Yeah. Um, but again, it's just using those opportunities to educate because it's easy to get annoyed and frustrated, but I have to remind myself, kids don't know what they don't know. And a lot of times they don't know a lot more than I think they don't know. So. Yeah, that's
0: um, that's absolutely true. When it comes to your philosophies with programming, um, and and I know we we talked uh already about how you you basically program the same for all the populations that you work with from an athletic standpoint and whatnot. What are the things that you kind of hang your hat on, or where do you feel like this is our foundation. We're, n- we're never going to deviate from this and anything that we add on in addition to is simply either helping to meet the demands of the sport and practice, or you're trying to find out if it's worth investing more time into and, and being a part of being a regular part of your program.
1: Um, that's an awesome question. I think at the end of the day, for me, hands down, we drill in athletics, moving well all day long. Like, I need you to know what it feels like to be in an athletic stance. I need you to get in and out of an athletic stance as quickly as possible, as efficiently as possible, all day long. And from people much smarter than me that I've got to learn from, I think at the end of the day, weightlifting and specifics become sport-specific when you move well, like, Yeah, I train the I train throwers differently than I throw than I change my basketball players in very small differences. But at the the end of the day, the thing I drill home over and over again is I need you to learn how to move well and move safely. And we can add athleticism and improve performance when you know what it feels like to move well in a certain way. And once you can just show me that and demonstrate that, we can do all the cool sexy stuff in the weight room all day long. But you have to know how to get in and out of an athletic position for me before I let you do too much crazy stuff. Um, We spend a ton of time on breathing and bracing, um, especially with my throwers because they don't know how to maintain a brace through rotation which leads to all kinds of shoulder injuries and hip flexor issues. I spent a ton of time working with softball pitchers just because that's what I did and I see the same injuries over and over again related to the same inability to rotate well. Um, So Our warm-ups every day are some sort of breathing bracing exercise in different positions paired with variations of crawling, jumping and landing, balance, um, bears, leopards, low walks, some sort of anti-rotation, rotation, rotation, warm-up, pelvis disassociation, and then we move into our lifting for that day, so the the, probably the only thing that really changes for me is the energy systems trained in the in the conditioning part of it um but even then you're not getting super specialized until you've proven to me you can do that well or you've been training with me for the last four years and you're a senior and you've earned that right um at the college we've moved into pretty advanced stuff by then because the, the kids train with me online for the summer coming into their freshman year so when we when they show up the first week of practice, I'd like to hope we've got the movements established and we can hit the ground running and some pretty higher level stuff. But all day long, over and over again, everyone starts with movement-based prep. Um, I have a background in developmental kinesiology as far as like DNS, dynamic neuromuscular stability, and I spend a lot of time training from that. Um, we return to the basic positions of three months, six months, 10 and a half months, 12 months, once you can move in and out of those positions really well then we load it and add intensity and and that so movement based is probably the beginning phase for me and then we go from there but
0: is there any are there any lifts that you're and I'm not and I'm not talking about specifically for various like you know pitcher versus thrower versus but just in general do you have anything that you prefer not to do versus you know everything almost everything under the sun within reason it's fair game
1: yeah i i so i had a huge pleasure of lifting with glenn penley for a few years he lived close to me and i got to learn how to do true olympic lifting from him so i love olympic lifting but you'll not see me program snatches very often probably ever at all um Kids just don't have the T-spine mobility, don't have the shoulder complexity to be able to handle squatting under a snatch. There's very few kids that can. If we use it at all, it'll be a power snatch or hang power snatch, or we'll do dumbbells, alternating snatches. That'll be the only thing I would say. Um, Other than that, yeah, most things are free game. So Um, as much as I love Olympic lifting, that'll be the one lift that I don't. you know I don't teach a lot so I'm
0: I'm with you on the snatch part of it is I I feel like I don't have enough familiarity myself to coach it effectively yeah Uh, I worry about safety and I and I know we would we the same way we teach how to bail a clean we would teach how to bail a snatch and but the biggest deal is when you have seventy-something kids. Even yeah. as strategic as you try to map <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: the weight room and the logistics, they still find stupid ways to. <laughs> so yes. it's like the last thing I want is a you know is one hundred and thirty-five pounds coming down from a six-foot-four yes dude who has is done. He's hit his last one. Yeah he's just trying to let it go yes. and you know the five foot nothing idiot freshman
1: right walks right behind him like you know, <laughs>
0: yeah i mean we, we we struggle like we have the the everybody calls them differently but the jammer arms the blaster arms the attachment mm-hmm. arms yeah the racks and we have the the little lock mechanism for them and we went over like literally two seconds later it comes down and whacks him on the head. I'm like, oh my god! Oh, how, how do you? We just had a safety course on this for five minutes, and you yeah. gets hurt. Like, yeah. What's funny is that kid has actually become decently proficient. So no, I don't advocate that getting the <laughs> by a three by three steel tube <laughs> developmentally is appropriate. You know, you um, also learn just like when you touch the stove that it's hot. Mm-hmm. on like things trigger in your brain um the last thing i want to to get out on it is your your brand your website your um where you where people can access you for personal training the the she she strength kind of where did that come about and then where do you want to see it go to
1: yeah that's a good question um so because I had kids with special needs, and I've worked in a million different settings, I always seem to return home to the to the home gym, garage gym space. Um, one, because i've I've spent too many times trying to to work in gyms, take my kids to daycare, and for whatever reason the the daycare providers can't can't take care of my kids or meet the needs that that they need met. So I'm always having to leave, cancel. So my business model has always been around a garage gym or a barn gym. Now we live in rural Kansas. There's literally maybe one other gym gym coached place within probably 50 miles of where I live. Like there's just not a lot of opportunities for people to go to a gym. And a lot of people drive for work where I'm at. So we literally... We have a 40 by 62 shop on our property, and the la- back quarter of it, I converted into a gym space. People have to drive like three miles on gravel and a mile up our driveway to get to it. But um, the concept of She's Drink came from initially at that space and time. I had little kids at home. I had two kids, 11 months apart, because my youngest was six months old when we adopted my son, who was. Tw- uh they're 11 months apart. So however, whatever the math is, I'm almost a year old. Um, so I basically had two toddlers at the same time. And then I had a five-year-old who had sensory processing issues and I I had to be home. Like I had no other options, but I still wanted to work my career and do the things I wanted to do. So at that time, a lot of my population was other moms who had children with special needs, who needed that social time, who needed some outlet and also hated where their bodies were at at that point in life. So I originally had the business model of She Beast. Um, because at that time, I was also competing in Olympic lifting and I was traveling around and competing. And they would announce me and they'd be like, What gym do you belong to? And I'd be like, I don't know, like my house. <laughs> and so they started calling me Home Gym. Like I literally have HG letters written in my gym now because the girls I used to travel around and lift with just started calling me Home Gym. Um, and so they'd always joke about, Oh, she's in her home gym. Like that was a funny thing. So I originally, had my business a she beast and I launched my business the first week and was filed a lawsuit by another company that said they had trademarked the word beast and I could not use it. I had had banners, signs, shirts, website, business cards, everything made. And I had to have my business taken down within 48 hours or I was going to be sued. Um, So I literally had to trash everything my first year and start all over I had six months that I rebuilt so I literally went online Facebook live I remember I was in like tears because I had just put all of my heart and soul into this business personal training business and I asked people to come up with new names for my business because I needed something and I did not know what to do and I had thousands that was like one of the most highest viewed videos I've ever had thousands of people messaged me and we voted and she strength was the new name that they came up with for me because it encompassed being a mom of children with special needs because I did Olympic lifting. And because at that time, the majority of my people were, were moms and women. So we went with she strength. Um, and we went with blue and orange because my softball team all growing up, they were the orange crush and we were blue and orange. And so people were like, you need to go back to your home base of everything. Um, and so I relaunched a whole new business within three to four months of having to take everything down. Um, and she strength is, is what was voted as the new name and the new colors. And so I always say, I went back to the community, the community helped me rebuild. And then that's where I, I've, I've always gone to over and over again with my business. Um, and so it's funny you ask where I'm going, because I feel like I'm in this new stage. Um, my son is a teenager now and we've, I've always worked early mornings. I've worked late nights. Um, trained at the schools and the college during the day and I'm at this new stage where I actually just closed down a lot of my hours at my gym and I'm actually peeling back. Um, I've always worked 16 hour days several days a week because I've been at home so it's never felt like I'm working because my kids are coming in and out of the gym. I run in, make supper, come back out, run in, throw a load of laundry and come back out in the early mornings and the evenings, teach a class, go get them on the bus, come back out, coach again And then I'd go to the schools and stuff while they're at school and then come back home and work in the evenings. And, um, literally just a month ago, I announced I'm closing the doors, uh, in the evenings and uh, and I'm taking my evenings back. So when you say where I'm headed, I wouldn't necessarily say it's for business growth. I would say it's, it's, uh, returning back to getting a grip on my hours for my family. Um, As my son's gotten older, he started eloping, which is really common for adults with Down syndrome, but it's gotten way worse for him and he'll just take off. I mean, we've had to, we've lost him in the school multiple times. We've lost him. I mean, we live out in a rural area and we've had to have Sheriff Patrol come help us find him. Like he literally just jets. And so I can't leave him in the backyard while I'm training anymore. I can't assume he's going to stay in the house while I'm training anymore. And my girls are old enough where they're going to their sports. In the, in the evenings, and the mornings, and they're not home. And my husband works a job where he's in and out a lot. So I have to be more available for him and, and put more attention on him. And so to answer that question, I guess I'm kind of slowing down a little bit right now, just in the phase of life that I've had to adapt to. And, and I'm fine with it. Um, just revamping my business model a little bit right now to, to be more available for his needs. So, um, probably an opposite of answer of what most people say, but, uh,
0: no, flowing
1: down is where I'm at right now. So, but
0: I think it's important that you recognize that that's what you and your family needs. Um, and those i would I would venture to guess those in the community that have been with you for any length of time and that can talk, can empathize with the the things that you've gone through would totally say, yeah, well, if you open back up, we'll we'll be there if you get to a place where you can extend more, like, you know, and and to those that um, scoff at it or whatever, well, good riddance because more than likely you probably didn't need to work with them anyway. Like, I think we as coaches have to be more protective of our, our time particularly with our family because they're the ones that get unfortunately put on back burner more often than not um for various reasons and and whether it's fair or unfair and you say well it's part of the it's just part of the life i get that to an extent but at the same time where do you draw your line you know it's It's not the same as paramedics, EMT, and military where yeah. you have to worry about, you know, are they going to come home? Right. That is part of that life. Like, yeah. but that's different.
1: Agreed.
0: You, you have control to, a, to an extent. Like, at the end of the day, you, you got to support your family. You got to make money. Yeah. But they're only going to be in certain stages of life for a short amount of time. And then all of exactly. a sudden... And what do you next do? So
1: yeah, I think I think there's power in having truth speakers in your life. Um, I know what makes me really good at my job is also my greatest weakness, which is people pleasing, serving. Like I I, I I'm an encourager. I have spiritual gifts of encouragement and and um, serving, and and I also know that those are my greatest detriment too. And so at the end of the day, I have to step back and be like. Are you are you serving because your ego needs Matt, or are you serving because you're truly called to serve and this is what you're supposed to be doing? And and it it's the beauty of having people in your life who are willing to tell you the hard things. Um, and so, for a good month or two there, I spent a lot of time dealing with a lot of emotions of like, what am I truly trying to do here, and who am I truly trying to serve? And at the end of the day, who are the most important people for me to be serving? Um, and and the answer was obvious it was just really hard for me to want to see. Um, And so there's also power and and beauty in having people that can make you really mad and really angry, but will still speak truth to you in those moments. Um, And those are the people you want in your life. And I think are important for us as coaches to have when sometimes we don't want to see what we know we need to see. And and that's where I was at. And so immediately making that decision and putting it out there was like 10,000 pounds lifted off my chest, you know, Um, but it's really hard to to get there and it wasn't an easy task and it's still some days where people will be like hey can you squeeze me in and i'm like "Ugh, no no i can't like i i I have to say no even though it stinks and it goes against everything within me right now that's the phase i'm in and i'm asking people to respect the stage of life that we're in and like you said exactly when it when it opens back up and when i have that availability then we'll talk again but i also hope as a coach i've given you the strengths and the abilities and the knowledge to do what you need to do on your own too. So, um, yeah, that's where I'm at right now as far as quote growth goes, <laughs> <laughs> I always say, I feel like the biggest moments in my business has been when I had stepped back and it's so crazy because you think people want to celebrate the big wins and, and the big things. But I think I sometimes feel like I have the most effect on people's lives when I admit that I need to do less or I need to step back or I need like the amount of phone calls and texts and emails and DMs that I've got from people I don't even know just saying thank you for for being open about that and stepping back has been way more powerful than getting some award or taking a team to conference championship this year, you know, like sometimes it's good reminders that sometimes the most powerful things we can do is not do anything. <laughs> and so um, that was a good reminder for me it's not always in the big wins so yeah
0: love it coach if, if people wanted to get more information in regards with with your not necessarily personal training but um, you know just your coaching in general and if they wanted to access the course that you referenced uh, where's the best place to get that
1: well you'll find everything on um so that's my website All my online programming is through my app on there. You can find access to. Um, And then on Instagram, I'm at SheStrength. I probably spend the most time on Instagram and Twitter, um, both at SheStrength. So um, I usually try to get to messages once a day if possible. So, um, yeah, all the information will be on my website mostly. So,
0: Awesome. Well, thank you for taking the time. Thank you for being open and, and vulnerable about your life, your journey, um, and, I, and I'm, I'm appreciative of the time that you you gave me today, and um, you know just wish you all the best in the future.
1: Thank you. Well, I appreciate you having me on. I always enjoy getting to know you guys. I see your your big names and your big personalities on my Twitter feed, so it's always cool to get to have personal chats with people too. So I look up to a lot of what you guys do. So
0: uh, that's that's very humbling because I don't I don't consider myself big big of anything, but. No you know it it mean it means a lot um you know just so so thank you
1: yeah.